Hello, it's another Musical.ly Focus with me, Musical.ly's editor Joe Sparrow, and in this episode we're joined by Kieran Kaiser, co-founder of Muso.ai, the music credits platform that brings together data on the people that make music and allows music professionals to edit and manage their legacy metadata. Now, Kieran says he looked at the most popular tracks ever made and then looked at the metadata associated with it that reaches streaming platforms, and he found lots of gaps. Only 60% of them have songwriting credits, 46% of them have producer credits, and only 29% have engineering credits. So we speak to him in a minute and ask him why he chose to take on one of the huge music metadata challenges. Now, what's this Music Ally Focus podcast? Well, Music Ally provides an analysis-rich and contextual guide to the music business, and we look at one meaningful story at a time, just like this one. This podcast is also going to be quick. It will last about the same amount of time as Dakiri the dog could hypothetically fetch 450 toys. Dakiri retrieved 15 in one minute in 2020, and while it's unclear what breed of dog Dakiri is, it's clear that she's a very good girl. Now, talking of dogged persistence, Kieran DeKaiser is trying to make sure that all of the people associated with a track are properly credited in the metadata in a verified way. So in this podcast, part of a partnership between Musical.ly and Muso.ai, we wanted to hear the thoughts of someone who has spent half a decade working with music metadata and solving a problem that he says can help people not only get the credit they deserve, but open up new work opportunities and get paid better for the work they've already done. It's a great conversation and he mentioned some really eye-opening data. So let's go over to Kieran right now. Okay, we're very happy to welcome Kieran DeKaiser, co-founder of Muso AI, to the podcast. Hi, Kieran. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Now, we've covered a lot of various AI technologies that are connected to music, um, in musicalized news reporting and here on the podcast. Uh, this is one I think we haven't discussed before in the podcast, so uh, it should be interesting. And this is how AI fits with uh, the the issue of metadata around music. Before we dig into that, can you start by explaining your personal background in relation to the music industry, sort of describe what Muso is doing in a nutshell, and why you chose to take on one of the huge challenges in the yeah. music industry, which is metadata. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, so, so, so much. Uh, um, but I'm an engineer. I'm an artist. Um, I started off in the studios in uh, Los Angeles as kind of just helping out there, uh, learning the craft. And very, you know, like in a few months, I was growing into engineering all the sessions, like orchestrating everything. And I was working out of a studio called NRG Recording in uh, North Hollywood. And they've been around for 30, almost uh, 35 years. They were kind of the go-to spot for all the new metal stuff that happened in 2000 to 2010. Think about uh, Korn, uh, uh, Evanescence, Linkin Park, uh, Papa Roach, like all of that type of stuff. That was kind of the home to all of that. And the studio owner there, uh, Jay Baumgartner, <clears throat> I started working with him quite a lot on all the sessions and on all the uh, music coming through. And I noticed that almost every single conversation that we've had with either customers, with colleagues, or people coming through the studio was around credits and how people weren't properly getting credited. Now, me being very new in the industry, like at the time, maybe have three years under my belt, that was quite an interesting conversation for me because that's you know that's how you get started. We have to build your resume. And coming from the digital world, you know, like you're thinking, oh, well, how hard can that really be? But for the owner, the owner of the studio and now my co-founder, Jay, 
Uh, this has been a problem for 30, 35 years. People missing out on uh, Grammy opportunities by just not having their name on the record. People being in the room but not actually getting the credit they deserve and sometimes even leading to ownership disputes or royalty uh, disputes and just the sense of not being able to build your portfolio, your resume of what you've worked on in an uh, industry that is completely freelance is a little bit crazy. And, you know, like we just started to have those uh, conversations with people coming through and it turned out people got pretty emotional. Like everybody has this, this sob story about, oh, like I wasn't credited. You know, like it's like the oldest story in the book and music industry. Every single movie highlights it. You know, like it's not, it is the cliche that you work on something and then somebody takes advantage of it or like or your name doesn't get mentioned. And so this seemed to be something very, very real to the people like around us, friends, colleagues, uh, and also people coming through the studio. So like initially we said, okay, we have to do something for those people. We have to do something for our friends, for our colleagues, and make sure that they don't ever have these problems again. And so we really wanted to start off with just a simple tool to help capture credits while you're in the studio, started to identify some problems in the chain of command on how it's captured, how it's being sent. And kind of in that journey, more and more, the platform has developed to be something bigger to, to realize, like, oh, there is no one simple solution. This has to be addressed at a major scale. And it's not only that we have to solve it from oh, what happens in the studio, handing that over to, say, a label or, or a uh, distributor, but also how do you handle all this legacy stuff that isn't properly documented, that isn't properly handled. Um, and so it's kind of pivoted towards that and um, you know, uh, there's a lot that happens in a, a recording session in a studio that <laughs> that doesn't get uh, properly documented and nowadays it's kind of okay like it's not like in the best spot but now that you have the credits and Spotify title and yeah. you know, the, the producer credits and songwriting credits people do seem to care more about it now they do start to get covered a little bit more now and especially because the uh, independent distributors like a, a district or tune court, they are like allowing those credits to be sent in now. So going forward, it's not in a bad spot. I wish it was like a little bit better, but really the big issue is, and a lot of the people that we've talked to have flagged is okay, going forward is okay, but how do I actually fix the last 10, 15 years of my career? And that's where. That, that was my next question. Is that, yeah, how does, how does that happen? And what, what is Muso doing to sort of fix that as, as you see it? Yeah, first thing, we had a tool to capture new credits going forward on stuff that you're uh, doing in the studio, but it was proven that that was kind of okay and that the main problem was looking back. So then we said, okay, how can we actually solve all of this? So we started to bring in and um, and aggregate kind of all of the industry uh, data that you can have, catalog data, analytical data, credits data, and also the publishing data, all like in one master data set to understand, okay, what is there, where are the problems, and how can we solve it? And there were a lot of uh, discoveries in that path. Like that's taken about three, three and a half years, like just of doing that. There's so, so much, uh, you know, different data sets that are kind of unique on their own that, that don't have a common identifier, that don't have a common key, like as they say in um, in the uh, world of software. So it's very hard to merge all of that. And it's very hard to bring it all together. You know, the ASCAP and the BMIs, they have tried to do this just on the publishing side. Um, and people have just kind of given up and said, no, like it can't be done. And we think that we found a way to actually 
properly do that, not only using the uh, the, the uh, technologies that we have, but also uh, leveraging a point of view in the industry where users and people in the industry can participate to the industry database and cleaning it up for the better. And that is where I really think the interesting part is, is it is not going to be a magic wand of, okay, we have an algorithm, we have something that can fix all of it. It has to be in combination with people inside of the industry um, wanting to solve this together. And that's where I think the opportunity is. So obviously this is a topic that is talked about endlessly in the music industry. And as you say, it, with with the sort of air of, oh, I don't think this will ever be solved. You know, there's been huge cases of people trying to make one master database of all the information and it just not working. It's clear that from the past, why that happened, you know, the, the data was kind of built up in different ways in different places and everybody was doing it independently. And then that's why it got into that fragmented state. How difficult is it to, as a challenge to bring all that together? I mean, you said it's taken years, but I mean, yeah. like, can you, can you describe it in the sense of like, it just seems to me like the ultimate nightmare to be presented with all these different data sets in different ways. And then someone saying to you, can you just make this into one spreadsheet? <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, we see as kind of three main entities inside of the industry, a database that we can uh, link everything to. So we have a, a profile that can be seen as an artist that is, on, that is on Spotify or somebody behind the scenes, like a songwriter, producer, engineer, like an actual individual. Then uh, we have a track, which is just a song, which is a recording, something you would have on a CD, something that you would play on Spotify. And then you have the album, the release, kind of a collection of work of recordings and tracks together. That is how we've kind of unified it. Now, the track, the industry has done a very good job in unifying all of that on the ISRC. That is like the main um, identifier on which everything is merged. So when you take all these different uh, data sets, it's very easy to find the common data points through the ISRC. So that has not been that big of an issue. There are still somewhat issues of the same track being distributed three or four times, sometimes under a radio edit or like an extended version when it really isn't the same recording, like it's just a different like version. So there is still duplicates out there, but for most of the cases, like it's actually pretty okay. Then you have the album, the release, which is on the UPC, which now on the streaming side is is um, is very well done. But back in the day when we used to still do CDs, you would have a different UPC for the same album in different regions because different regions had a different distributor. They would have a different printer for the CD, for the vinyl. So that kind of got a little bit messy. Like, you know, see like one album has a only a, a Japan version or a US version that have the same track list, but they have a different uh, UPC. Right. So, you know, when you go and view an artist's work, like you technically don't have to see those two different albums, but in the data, they are there, right? So, but you can find that also not really the biggest of issue. The unification of the profiles and mainly people behind the scenes, that's where the biggest problem is, is this disambiguation of people, of people that have worked on a track. And that's just yeah. on the data that's there. And then we have a whole other topic of data that is not there, that wasn't properly captured. But we put on the ones that are there, you know, there have been no standards in how you send in credits for very, very long. They've only kind of been attempt to create standards in the last year, year and a half or so. So when you're at a 
when you send stuff in from a district tune core or through your label or through a whatever, there's now a field that is called the ISNI, which is the International Standard um, Name Identifiers. So it's meant to give an identifier to every single person behind the scenes, whether you're an engineer, songwriter, uh, a producer, or an artist. Right. So everybody involved with the track will have a unique anybody. code, like an yeah, ISRC, exactly. and right. Okay, that yeah. sounds useful. But so and has that been driven? Has that been driven? The creation of that has has that been driven by the sort of like you said, the streaming platforms now have the uh, uh, credits next to the tracks. Has it been driven from? That? Yeah, well, this has actually been driven by the streaming services themselves because where they are at, they are a, a technology platform that is very dependent on the data that is being sent in from the yep. labels. So they can't really add a whole lot more to that. They are kind of at the mercy of what the label sent to them. So if the labels or the or the uh, distributors send them bad data, then they get bad data. So say you know, oh, there's a case that we've been at that we've been talking about for quite a while, say that Spotify or Apple Music, they want to enhance their algorithms. They want to say, okay, if you like three songs in a row that were produced by me, that means maybe you want to listen to more songs that were produced by me. Okay, but in order to do that on the technical side, in Spotify's data, they would have to have an identifier for me. They would have to have a, a unique number for me to be able to do that filtering, to be able to do those algorithms. And if they don't get that from the labels, they can't actually touch any of that data because they don't own the rights to that data because the rights holder in the end is the label, is the is the uh, distributor. So it's very hard to kind of innovate and to improve the services when you're always dependent on what is coming from the labels. That is one. But two, like if you actually do have some very cool use cases, some very cool things that, that can be done on the consumption side, on the streaming side, now you have to turn to the to the labels and say, okay, we want these types of fields, we want these types of data to increase our service. And the labels aren't really set up to do this kind of stuff. They're not technology companies, right? Like they're, they can't do this at scale. So they maybe do this for their top 1%, for the Drakes, for the Ariana Grande. They'll have a team and they'll work on their catalogs. But the bottom 90, 95%, it's way too much manual work to actually do that for their whole catalog. So every single time there's new innovation, there's always this question of, oh, how do we do this for the whole catalog? And that's where right. something like with what we are doing can actually help and come in and um, help do that on the catalog wide for the other 95% that you don't want to do manually and help your whole catalog to move over to like a more modern a modern set that can be leveraged on the consumption side. So you, you, I think you've touched on this a little bit, but what is your sort of take on the state of music metadata? Because you've mentioned this issue about people not being credited and it's an ongoing issue, that there's been some changes recently. I'm asking you this in terms of, in a sort of general sense about the state of music metadata, because whenever I... Uh, whenever we write anything about music metadata or publish a podcast on it, I generally get a few very passionate emails afterwards of people saying, no, actually, <laughs> it's like this. And everybody has very sort of passionate views on the state of the data. So I'm not asking for a, a, a screed from you, but some people think it's a it's chaos, it's terrible, and it needs scrapping and starting again. Some people think, actually, it's all right. Thanks very much. Where do you sort of sit in that um, that spectrum? Swaley, that the numbers uh, speak for itself so um of, of, of what i have like in front of me here are some of the coverage numbers that we see inside of the industry database that we found bringing all of these different uh, data sets together now what we've done in our data set is we've uh, divided it into a rank one two three four and five a rank one being the point zero one percent of the whole like industry the top fifty thousand tracks 
that have ever been created and streamed and stuff. So that is like our like um, you know the peak of the pyramid, and that should in theory have the most pristine quality, right? And then a rank two is the uh, 1%, a rank three, 10%, a rank four, a 30%, and rank five is the bottom 60% that only has 100 streams or so, 1,000 streams that you know people don't really care too much about. But like 95% of all the consumption on the streaming services is the top 1% of music. So technically that should be a very good example of how the rest should look. So looking at the 0.1% of the industry, the most popular tracks ever made, only 60% have songwriting credits. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and only 29% have engineering credits. Right. So, like, even, like, in the different categories, like, songwriting is the most important one because it touches the copyrights and everything. Now, this doesn't mean that ASCAP or BMI or you know, that the publisher doesn't have it. It's probably well-documented who the copywriter is, but the point is it's not ending on the places where people consume music is really the issue here, you know? So a 60% of songwriter, 46% producer, 26% musician, engineer, 29%. And what is kind of interesting is we also have a category called the uh, visual credits, who did the music video or the album art. 4.2% coverage on that. Wow. So, you know, just at the coverage numbers alone, like you can see, okay, well, it's not really like in a great state. Then you can argue, okay, just the fact that a song has a songwriting credit doesn't mean that it's accurate. It just means that it's there. So there's also yeah. how accurate, like, is that 60% also, you know? So you, you've answered my question quite clearly there, actually, which is that there's, there's quite a lot of work to be done in terms of bringing in, even if we ignore accuracy, just bringing in data that answers all the questions that people have around uh, the people who create music. And then you've got a separate task of making sure it's correct. But we'll, we'll, we'll save that one for a moment. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll park, park that one for a moment. So t- tell us then how the, the Muso process works. So you, you've sort of touched on it a bit, but how does, th- how does this sit in the, the production line to make sure all these boxes are filled in with the appropriate people and the credits? And c- can you explain as well how that this AI process fits into there as well and what it does yeah sure so what we do is we take in all the data that is currently on the streaming services that are on all of these different data points and that is called the legacy credits so anything that is currently on spotify on apple that's called legacy anything that people are currently now working on in the studio is the on release so we only handle what is on the legacy databases so we bring all of that in there are some processes that we do on the merging that kind of create a master data set that is already in a somewhat uh, in a somewhat uh, better place. And then users come onto the platform. They are able to add or modify the data they see for themselves. They're able to change things that are wrong or add stuff to it. And then those changes get added on top of the master data set. And, and that uh, together, so the master data set and the changes is what is able to be consumed by our data customers. And that can be through API or that can be through the uh, data feed. So we have currently uh, data customers, some uh, DSPs, some uh, some CMOs that are directly consuming the data from us. And that means the actual master data set of things that we have merged together, but then mainly the changes to the master data set that uh, our users have done on our platform. To date, last year, we have done 1.4 million changes on the master data set, just on credits and uh, participation alone. 
And those changes are then being consumed and shared to our data partners. So it's our like main goal. Okay, well, let's bring in all the industry data and let's make changes to it. And then let's have those changes flow to the, to the places that the industry cares about, the CMOs, right. the other streaming services, and give it the proper identifiers to be used on innovation and all those other stuff that I that I mentioned. So kind of having a source of truth that the industry can rely on to build yeah. more uh, more stuff on, really. And who are the people that will come and make these edits? You're, you're saying the people, your participants, um, who participants in the recordings will come and make changes about, oh, well, hey, actually, I did this and uh, I did this for this. But so is it, are you welcoming in everybody in the production chain to, to add, either add themselves or change things in that um, data set around, let's say, a song? And how do you verify that it, it's true? Yep. Well, that is the uh, main question that we always get is how can you validate all these changes that are happening to the system? So you have four different layers that we have and the uh, data consumers can choose which layer they want to uh, consume. So the very first layer is you're a user, you come onto Muso and you find your own profile that is inside of the industry DB and you say, hey, that is me. But you go through what we call a, a claiming process. So you log in to your uh, Facebook page, like Instagram page or uh, Twitter page, to showing, hey, this is me. This is proof that this is me. And I want to make changes on this profile. So after that is done, uh, you're on what, what we call the L1 uh, level of uh, verification. And now you can make changes to your name, your uh, biography, your like profile picture. And this is just right. you say, okay, this is me and I'm making changes to me. Then yeah. uh, say that you were uh, left off on the track that uh, that I did, like you were you were uh, left off. You say, "Hey, I was in fact the engineer on a, a track that I did." Now, since I already have credit on that, I can bring you on. So the second layer is like collaborator verification. So yeah. people that are already credited, who have also claimed the profile, can vouch for you, can bring you on to that track. That is the second level. The third level is if the artist on the track, who also does the uh, verification, but say that it's uh, the weekend or somebody on the weekend team that that has proven that they have access to the weekend artist profile, they have said, yes, this is also true. So it brings it to a level three. And then the last one is the rights holder. So now when the label and publisher gets involved, can be brought into an L4. Now, say that we have a a data customer that is a, a CMO. They might only want to consume the L4 data because it's just the rights holder data, especially when it comes to the royalties, they tend to only want the L4 data. But if we are talking about, you know, like a platform that just wants to bring in, uh, we have one platform where you can hire engineers and it's like a a gig website. They don't really care for the L4 data. They just want the L1 data. That's fine. Like it's more. So a data customer is on their own right. However, they want to use it. If it's meant for royalties or copyright, we recommend to use the L4. But if it's just like a more broad, wide industry discovery thing, then it can be, then it can be done like on the L1. So really we've leveraged not only, you know, removing the bottleneck for verifying this on the label, the rights holder side, because yeah. that's not going to happen. So we brought in the artist and we saw even that, you know, like it's hard to get to like an Ariana Grande, Beyonce, but really the other people in the room, they're much more like approachable. They can vouch for you. They can bring you on. And they're probably more easily to reach as well. But some of the issues that we found with some of the other uh, crediting platforms is if there are problems, then you have to contact the label who has to redistribute. Yeah. And we had a case like in the studio, actually, where a, 
assistant engineer didn't get credit on a Beyonce track. Now, this assistant engineer who's only in the room, like setting up everything, now suddenly has to contact Beyonce's label to redistribute with her name on it. Just never going to happen. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but now Jay, who was in the room, he was able to vouch for her because he did have that credit on there. So he can bring her on. And that way, she actually did right. end up having that credit. So it's just using the current industry data, even though the coverage is low, like as we said, but right. but there is coverage, using that to increase it to the other 100 uh, or hopefully 100% in all the areas. Yeah, right. You can connect with people that you do know or people that can verify that you were involved. And then all of a sudden, you don't have just one point of truth, which is the label. You have lots of different ones. Exactly. Of, of, their, their, trust, their trust is verified in the system. And so their trust can also verify individual data points yep. throughout that process as well. Okay. Um, and what about the AI process that you involve? AI is used so broadly now as a, as, a, as a sort of, I'm not saying you're using it as a buzzword, but we do. I've seen it used as buzzwords. Definitely, and yeah. And uh, how is it specifically working in this, in this case to make this data better? Usually on AI or ML, you need to have what is called the reference data, which is a a data set, a very large one that is super clean that the AI or the ML can reference as, okay, this is the truth. This is my model. This is what I have to learn from. But in music, this is kind of difficult because as we see, the industry data is not entirely accurate. So it can't be used as like a learning grounds to then predict or do confidence of. So what we've now done is we've looked at all the transactions that are happening on our platform, all the verifications, those 1.4 million credits that have been added last year and have been verified. Those are now ground for what is considered the truth. And that is our learning model. So the more like of those transactions that happen, the ML and the AI is then uh, um, meant to learn from that and, and then to make predictions or to make confidence ratios. So say that you are to uh, come on board day one, you have zero credits, and you say that you wrote for Justin Bieber. Well, there is a confidence ratio in the background that says that it looks at all the data points on your profile, that looks at all the transactions that have been proven, and then it can compare and say, okay, what is the confidence that Joe did in fact work with Joe? with uh, Justin Bieber based on his current work. Well, the confidence is now zero because you have zero credits and nobody has ever worked with Beyonce that has zero credits. And that's true, right? yes. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there you have that, but it's both using you know people that you have worked with in the past, say that you've worked with Jay who has worked with Beyonce. Now the likelihood of you being in that room is like a little bit higher, right? So it uses all the actual or related data points of the accurate transactions that we have validated to give confidence ratios from that can be used by people to bring them on to a higher level of, of verification. We don't want to be in the place where we say, okay, this is the actual final truth, but more give confidence ratios to the right. to the industry of of you know, can you trust that what, what this is here being said? We say that is has a very high likelihood of of like being accurate based on the data. So when 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 changes come in, you're never going to get perfect in with such massive sets of data. But you're saying that you know, we have this starting point, which is not great actually, and we can welcome in this new data. We and then we can give a sort of score of how likely that is to be actually yeah closer to truth, and then. It should improve over time. Exactly. But it's still up to the rights holder or the artist or the other people that currently have credit on the track to say, okay, I will bring you on. We can just give you the confidence and right. 
okay. But even if it has a 14% confidence, if the label says, yes, this is true. Okay. Well then it's true, right? Like you're so, yeah, yeah. we don't want to be in the role, like being the arbiter, like of what's saying was true, but morally hold, holding up a mirror, like allowing all of mm. this to be more transparent, to get proper insights from it and to make it more discoverable than what it is now, rather than mm. being saying, Oh no, this is right. And like, this is wrong. No. Yeah. So, so the rights holder, or whoever has the ultimate say, Absolutely. is presented with a much easier situation where they can just say yes, 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 no, yes, no to your yep. to, to your suggestions. Okay, great. How long have you been running uh, Muso now as a as a service? It's been, it's been a few years five ago. years or s- five years now. Yeah. Okay. Which is a, a pretty substantial piece of time to be working in this space and with that data. So, what what do you see as your primary successes in that time? The first year and a half was we just had a tool almost like a plug-in for your uh, for your uh, DOW to capture credits in the session then we pivoted from that to do it to entire a legacy uh, catalog wide and that was already like a huge uh, benefit to people and then um, just last year we've added an analytical component to the system where any single producer, songwriter, or just any profile like in our database is able to see the performance of their credits streaming-wise for their whole body of work. So now suddenly Jay, who is always behind the scenes, he doesn't have access to Spotify for artists. He doesn't have access to analytics. He can now see, oh, my all of my credits t- together have 10 billion streams lifetime. And so he's like, wow, like I actually, I, I never knew that. So he's now like able to see what his work has actually done. He's able to place himself in the uh, market, can compare himself, justify his rates. We've heard of people that have been able to increase their rates by 300 per session, 400 per session, just because now they have somewhat of an idea of where they place themselves in the market. So that has been very interesting. And then secondly, We've also seen people that now have access to these streaming analytics on their credits to be able to reconcile that with their royalty statements and say, hold on a second, this is streaming a lot more than I thought it would be, but there's something missing here. And even my partner, Jay, has been able to find, was it like 250 grand of unpaid royalties just of having the insights of his credits? And he saw that one album was streaming way more than he was getting the uh, royalty statements for. So he was able to audit the label and they were, they didn't pay him out for seven years or so. They, they said they sent him a few letters or their, his banking information wasn't right, but they kind of just, you know, sat on the money for like seven years. And then he was yeah. paid out those uh, that, uh, that at 200 grand. And we've had six or seven stories of that from users now that have on their own, uh, use the insights from the data to actually make real world changes in their lives. And that's something that I'm very proud of to have been able to enable for these people. And also, this is not something coming from us. Like we never said that you could do this for your royalties, but they've kind of taken this upon themselves uh, to do. So that's something that I'm very like excited in to learn more about and how we can do this at a more um, larger scale um, yeah. for some of the other people. And then lastly, what I've seen, um, and this is something that I've started to talk about pretty uh, recently, is how these analytics that I talked about is this is shown now to be the reason why people care about having their credits accurate is they come into music, they want to see that number, the streaming number, and now they care about making their credits accurate, going in, solving things, 
adding things that are missing. Whereas before, the option is still there, but the reward is only that your credits are accurate and it looks cool, like on a profile, like on a on a, a portfolio. But if that's it, that's not enough of a carrot, not enough of a motivation to get people to go through all the work because you know it is kind of like doing your taxes in a way like you have to make sure that things are accurate it takes time it's some admin work right and if there's not a proper reward at the end it feels like you're oh sure like i'll do it one day like i'll do it one day like i'll do it off but now like we're actually getting people excited about doing it because of the analytics at the end of it that they are able to see that they're able to use to increase their rates justify themselves in the market reconcile royalties so that i think is very like exciting and i think as an industry as a whole we have to make it very um easy to engage with and have a, a reward structure like in place for people contributing to the industry database it can't just be that one that one platform does it all and reaps the, the rewards we also don't yeah. really want to do that it has to be an approach that we all take to uh, contribute to a cleaner set of industry data that we can all be proud of because we're all in this together. What does the the future hold then in a world where there is better metadata? So let's say your sort of grand vision happens and Muso is able to really level up all the data around everybody who's involved in songs, Um, you know, many more people who are involved at every level of that, of creation of a track, have their credits recorded somewhere that goes and fed out into industry partners. What benefit, what, what does that future music ecosystem and industry look like where more people have more credits that are more accurate? I see it in a few different categories. The one mainly that comes to mind is the educational piece, is that people understand their data, they understand where their money comes from, where their royalty comes from, or what the copyright and ownership is, and how they should be aware of that and how that is an asset for them. A lot of the people that I've spoken to, even 25 years in the industry, 30 years in the industry, they don't know enough about how they make their money, which is, if you compare it to any other industry, that's a little bit shocking. So really, mm. um, one is that we're all like very educated on on how we make money inside of the uh, inside of the uh, music industry, how the copyrights work and how my work contributes to that on a, a daily basis. Second is the uh, is the uh, discovery. If you ever hear something that is cool, if you want to work over somebody that is in a certain genre or that is on a certain part of the world, it should be really easy to find that person through all the work that is out there and to work with them. So the collaboration piece, if you want to do that at a worldwide scale, like you need to be able to have the data to uh, properly find those people and to be able to work with them. And to thirdly, to further increase the experiences that consumers can have with uh, music. There's one interesting piece of conversation that we've had with uh, with uh, one of the streaming services that uses the voice recognition. So what you would have in the Alexa speakers of like Siri, um, and they said, what we want to know or what we uh, want to understand from the artist is how does the artist pronounce their own name? So, right. you know, like you have certain names. So say like ACDC, right? If like Alexa says it is AC slash DC, like it doesn't understand that it's ACDC. Or like you have like some other artists that are very hard to understand just from how it's spelled to how it should be sound. So if a consumer says, hey, play me some XXX uh, nation, you know, <laughs> then somehow Siri or like Alexa has to understand who that is. 
So if the streaming services say, hey, we want this type of data, that we can come in and help connect that bridge to the people inside of the industry to, to backfill some of that data, that they are not dependent on having to go to the label because then all of those innovations will just never happen because the, the labels and the infrastructure, they're just not set up to, to be able to do that on a large catalog level. And I believe that's where we can come in to really supercharge or engage a lot of these cool user experiences that we can have with music. Great. And uh, if people are listening and think, okay, I want to, I want to check this out and see if I can either use it or get involved and update my own information or whatever, where should they go online to do this? You can go to our site, uh, uh, amuser.ai, and we're also inside of the app store. That is our main, uh, our main platform. So both the App Store and Google Play Store, muso.ai. And um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it takes you through all the steps and you will be able to create an account there and uh, see your insights, see your credits and make uh, contributions to it. Great. I'll, I'll link to that uh, beneath the podcast so they can just jump straight across and see it. And uh, before you go, Kieran, uh, one question that I've been asking a lot of people recently. Um, if hypothetically you could only have one piece of music to listen to, what would it be? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. It could be an album if you really want to compromise there. Really? But, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, or it can be an individual song. You're cool. Uh, so it will have to be a very nostalgic album for me that brings me a lot of positive uh, memories. And probably Minutes to Midnight by Linkin Park, their third album. That was a really big album for me, like in high school, that uh, uh, took me through like a lot of those years. So probably that one. Yeah, sure. I th- a completely understandable choice. I will link to that as well. Uh, beneath the podcast okay so uh kieran thanks very much for joining us yeah thank you joe thank you so much and there we go so if you found that useful please share this podcast on with someone else who you think will also get something out of it and if you'd like to email me and uh, give me your thoughts it's joe at musically.com it's joe at musically.com don't forget we have a free weekly email called the knowledge which rounds up a bit of this and a bit of that of the best analysis news marketing insight and skills from music ally there's a link below the podcast so sign up and impress your boss Uh, and don't forget as well you can check out to see if you are eligible for a free music ally subscription that link is also beneath the podcast so that's it for me joe sparrow Uh, until next time farewell